Hey there, I'm Sailor, and this is Pretty Good for a Girl, a podcast about girls who rock, girls who can hold their liquor, and girls who will arm wrestle you in a rainstorm with a lollipop. Welcome back. We hope your legs are shaved, your hair is washed, you've hung your unmentionables to dry, and you've got a boozy drink in your hands. I think I've done all of those things. Uh, I know I've got a boozy drink in my hands. Wait, let me feel my legs. Yep, I've shaved my legs. Mm, my unmentionables. Well, that's another story. <laughs> What's up, my lovely ladies? How's everybody Hello, doing tonight? Hi. So we have Kayla in the house. Woo woo! Yay! Ah, so much is <laughs> yes, I am feeling better. Thank you. Thank God. Oh. I'm so happy yeah, for do you. Do we need to explain Kayla Kaka, or can that just be a never again? We talk about that. I think we should just let it be a mystery. Yeah, I like that. Okay, let's just keep that a mystery. Definitely. Um, so I don't know about you girls, but I think tonight's chick might be one of the most badasses ever. Get ready to talk about the godmother of punk, the original Riot Girl, Joan Jett. So before we get into our discussion, what is everyone drinking tonight? Mmm, who wants to start? I want Kaka to start. She was out last time. <laughs> um, so I started off by doing a wine tasting before I got here. Nice. Um, and then now I'm switching to <laughs> rye um, because of uh, what I'll be making for you guys a little bit later. Ooh. Just yeah. a moment. What kind of rye are you drinking? I've been drinking a Jack Rye, which uh, I'll be honest, you guys can judge me if you want to. I... Man, I don't know if I want to go into the history book saying this. I don't love Jack Daniels. Same. Um, good. I just, I, I don't love Jack Daniels. But their rye is not bad at all. I think their rye is pretty is pretty decent. Um, I don't know what they're doing differently. But I've been doing that and actually Uncle Nearest. Have you yeah. guys heard of Uncle oh, Nearest? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Uncle I Nearest. I love Uncle Nearest. Yeah. They're so cool. He's the guy who made Jack Daniels what he is today. Um, if it weren't for Uncle Nearest, who was the first, as far as we know, the first black dis- uh, distiller, he was making um, what Jack is making now. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, Jack Daniels is mass distributed. It's a different product. But, um, but yeah, I've been drinking that today. I um, don't care for the flavor of Tennessee whiskey. And I think that's what I don't like about Jack because I hate to just go, even though I do the same thing, like, oh, I hate that shit. I hate to do that as a sweeping statement because I know they have other offerings and I've tried some of them. And I'm like, oh, okay. I think it's yeah. the, I, weirdly, I like Dickel, but I like the Dickel rye. So same. I think it's something about, I can't believe nobody interjected there. I can't believe it. What's wrong with you, ladies? I saw your faces, but no one, I mean, I said it right up, but all right. 
Um, <laughs> Everybody likes dickles. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's the dickle rye that I like. And so when I, uh, of the, the, it's the Tennessee process that I guess I don't care for the way they do that charcoal. Lincoln filled, County process. The Lincoln County process. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think that, I think that's a flavor profile. To me, it seems, um, astringent. It, mm-hmm. It's bitey. It's too bitey for me. You know, there's yeah. heat, but it's a heat that like moves around and warms. But that's like a bitey heat that yeah. I don't, I don't well, care for that. So I think that's, that's why I don't like Jack Daniels. Right, right, so, exactly. I because like Jack, they so like they don't let it rest with the charcoal mm-hmm. for it for the listeners. The Lincoln County process is what makes it Tennessee whiskey, and that just means they run basically bourbon. And they run it through uh, sugar maple charcoal. They let it run and through a, that. And it's a column. So Jack Daniels lets it run straight through. Right. But right. George Dickel will let it rest with yes. the charcoal before yes. they let it move. Yeah. And I think rest, that makes a big he difference. Rests dickel. He rests yep. his dickel, yeah. I think resting yep. the dickel is, is important in between it's processes. Important. You rest your dickel <laughs> once in a while. You know? You've got to. Yeah. <laughs> you got to rest that dickel. Yeah, um, don't wear your dickel out. <laughs> Um, I think that, um, I, I think mm-hmm. it's funny because it, it's, I think this is what happens to people is they'll, someone will say, oh yeah, try this Jack Daniels and they're new to whiskey and they drink it and they're like, oh fuck, I don't like whiskey. And you could try whatever, you know, but when I started really getting into drinking whiskey, I would go back to it like, what am I missing that everybody else knows that I don't know? I di- couldn't get it. And then when I was, you know, realized that I preferred higher proof whiskey often, I'm like, I'm drinking like a Booker's and yet I can't drink Jack Daniels. What is, what the hell? And then I realized, you know, as you become more knowledgeable, it's really about the process and the flavor profile. So, you know, if, if you've tried Jack Daniels and you think that's what American whiskey has to offer, just like with wine, just like with beer, there are so many different flavors out there mm-hmm. for you. Totally. Carolyn, what about you? So I was going to do the whole theme thing um, and make a cocktail for what I usually order in a bar if I'm going to see a band like the Runaways. And I was going to make a Cuba Libre, which is just <laughs> rum and coke with uh, and lime. Um and then I got home and the rum was literally gone. Oh. Like, there was not much left. So, oh, man. <laughs> dang it. Um, the rum so was dead since, I know. So instead, since it is gross and we're in the middle of a winter storm morning outside, Same. I went with white Russian for now. And later I'll probably break into some rye. So. You could have done a Lemmy. Whiskey and Coke. Lot. I don't have the ingredients for that either. Uh, uh, whiskey and Coke? That's a yeah. Lemmy. Oh, oh. Not, not mixable whiskey. Oh, oh, I, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, same, yeah, same. I, I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> How about you, Jenna? Um, I went with my go-to rum and Coke, but I'm drinking um, Papa's Pilar, and it's a blonde, so it's a white rum, and it's pretty tasty. It's pretty good. I like Papa's. Papa's is always a, a nice uh, alternative, not too crazy. It's like 30 bucks for a bottle. Um, and I love my, my rum and Cokes, my Cuba Libre, so that's, that's what I'm drinking. Nice. How about you, Say? I am drinking because I think, okay, so I chose my whiskey tonight because <laughs> I have a girl crush on 
Miss Joan Jett. I have since I was very young, and I didn't understand that it was a crush until I got older, and I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) So since I think Miss Joan Jett is sexy, 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 Mm -hmm. I am drinking the Sexton tonight. Very nice. Which, of course, the sexton has nothing to do with being sexy. I'm just being an asshole. Because it's got sex in the name. Well, I mean, you can't <laughs> have sex in it. Wow. <laughs> the doesn't have anything to do with, you know, it's True. Still. That's true. That's true. So, um... <laughs> So yeah, not a huge fan of Irish whiskey. Um, there are a few. I, I found it's really weird. I've got a love or total dislike relationship with Irish whiskey. I've never come across where I'm like, it's okay. It's either, ooh, no thanks, or oh my god, I love this. Um, mm-hmm. I love Tullamore Dew. It was my real gateway to Irish whiskey because actually, speaking of Jack Daniels, before Tully, <laughs> I thought Jameson was Irish whiskey, and I was like, get that out of my mouth now. <laughs> Similar to the dickle. Once again, set you guys up, and you just let it go. All no, right. she liked the dickle. That's <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I'm not a fan of, of regular, the regular offering from Jameson. Again, it's just a flavor I don't care for. Um th- I have tried some of their barrel finishes, and oh, wow, totally, yeah. totally different. Um, totally. So I, I think falling in love with Tullamore Dew, it opened me up a little bit and um, to Irish whiskey, and so I was a little bit more adventurous and um, did some, went to some big tastings and, you know, looked at a lot of my favorite whiskeys, and I was like, well, I can, I know I have those at home. I'm going to spend my tasting tickets on things that I don't really know. And I tasted this, this specifically the Sexton. And um, it's a lot of mixed reviews on it. If you Google after hearing me say this, you're going to find the majority of reviews are negative about this. And I just fucking disagree. So those reviewers can just kiss my ass. Um, I think this is beautiful. I think it's so light. It's so delicate. Again, if you're looking for a bold whiskey, you're not going to find it here in the Sexton. It is highly drinkable. It is very light. It's very fruity and very floral. So it is not a typical what we think of as an assertive Irish whiskey. You're not going to get that from this. But it's so. I think it's so beautiful. And I think... Um, the packaging is amazing. The story that they tell on the bottle. So I think mm-hmm. the first time I drank it on air was for Metal Rock and Whiskey last spring or something. And I called it octagonal. <laughs> I've been like, <laughs> I've been listening to all the past episodes because we're like getting ready for our big one year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And so I have to listen to myself say stupid shit for like the past three weeks. <laughs> it's Um, But they tell a story, if you turn the bottle on its side, Mm -hmm. and you start at one end, it tells this story as you rotate it about original grave diggers, and they were called sextons. And they talk about, it's just so cool, um, up in the cold gray northern reaches of uh, County Antrim, the sextons tend to the spirits, digging the fresh graves of the river bush graveyard and planting stone crosses in the soft mowed grass. So super, super cool. Um, they, they kind of tell a romantic story about that and then carrying the fresh scent of unmistakable oak from a breathing cask 
Follow that scent into the crypt and you might find a locked door. Faintly glowing at its edges through the door, find the rows of beckoning European oak. Once the sacramental casks of fine sherry, now brimming with aqua vitae. You see, to be a sexton is a spiritual trade and whiskey is their favorite spirit. I just think that's so cool. I don't know. I love that. I I love it. I I actually had uh, two cocktails I came up with um, a few years ago. One was called the locked door, referencing that. And the other one was called the dry bones. And um, it was the sexton. And I used a little, it was a beer cocktail. So I topped it off with a little bit of rogue dead guy. And I don't know if you guys (laughs) have seen the rogue dead guy bottle, but it's like the skeleton there. Um, and they were basically like mules. So I, there was like a, a ginger syrup, a little bit of sexton. I did a little bit of brandy in there, like a mm-hmm. just a basic brandy, like palmasan or like a table brandy. It's fine. And that was like, I love that you brought that up because like that was such a fun cocktail. It was so, so yummy. And sexton was perfect for it because it was so floral. Perfect. And it wasn't aggressive, like you said. Yep. Yep. It's not like that high butane heat. Yes. Um, it's just really, really yummy. Yeah. Good choice. I awesome. really love it. I, I really appreciate everything they did with this. I think it's a job well done through and through. So, Amen. There you have it. Cheers, ladies. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. And now we get to hear Kayla's cocktail segment. Yeah. Mm. All right, my dears. Do it. I've got a fun cocktail. It's, of course, inspired by Joan Jett, and we're calling it the My, My, My. Um, if you guys remember in um, Touch, don't, what is it? Touch Me There? Yes. <laughs> Trying to remember the name of her song. Um, do You Want to Touch? Yeah. Uh, do You Want to Touch? Yeah. Um, so she says, My, My, My Whiskey and Rye. So we're going to do a rye cocktail. And for the Black Hearts, it's going to be a Black Manhattan. Sweet. Um, I'm using a product called, um, it's basically a coffee rye whiskey. Um, see if I can get. So it, it's a coffee rye whiskey that's made here in um, Tennessee, and it's called Red Eye Rye. Um, and they're using a rye maceration um, with the coffee, and it's like a super, super um, chocolatey kind of rich flavor. So I'm splitting that with the Jack Rye. Now I did Jack Rye for a specific reason. Uh, We were, uh, I was watching, um, some of the documentary from the Joan Jett documentary and she was talking about how she felt like Europe accepted her in a big way where she didn't feel accepted as much here in the States initially. And they just kind of got the vibe, like the punk vibe was really selling over there. So one of the things that's interesting about Jack is that everybody drinks Jack. Everyone thinks about Jack um, as like an American spirit. But if you go outside of the country, they think of Jack as like the whiskey, like that is the American whiskey. And it's so funny because it's a Tennessee whiskey. It's to me, it's not really like our official spirit as a country is bourbon, bourbon yeah. so it's really weird to me that jack tennessee whiskey became like known elsewhere in the world as like the spirit American. of america yeah. which yeah. i don't know it's just kind of funny so um jack rye was my choice so we're gonna do one ounce jack rye 
and you're going to do a half ounce of the red eye rye because it really does kind of drink like an Amaro, even though it's technically a rye whiskey, it really kind of drinks like an Amaro. So a half ounce of that and then another half ounce of a Verna um, and just a little Peixo bitters, about two dashes of that. Stir it on up and drink it up. That is, uh, that's the my, my, my. Yum. I love it. Very nice. Black Manhattans are my favorite because, you know, I'm Amari obsessed. So anytime I get to have cocktails with an Amaro in it, I any any day of the week. <laughs> so feel you know, super, super pro- appropriate, like Joan Jett, dark hair, the yeah. dark mm-hmm. everything, lips, everything. And uh, the black hearts. Dark, yeah, there you go. Brilliant. Love it. Good Love job, it. Kayla, Kaka. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into tonight's topic. Are you ready, girls? Right. Let's yes. do it. All right. So we can't talk about Joan Jett without talking about the Runaways. It would mm-hmm. just be impossible. Right, of course. It would also be impossible to start off this podcast without talking about the Runaways um, early on. So we're trying to, if you haven't figured this out yet, we're trying to do this from a historical perspective in a bit of a linear way. Um, we're, we're talking about some of the women who helped to found hard music for women and were leaders early on. And the Runaways definitely have a place there, as does Joan Jett. So let's just talk about a little backstory on them. Um, Surprisingly, a lot of people don't know the Runaways. A lot of people who are Joan Jett fans, I've brought them up and I've had people recently say, oh, I have never heard of the Runaways. And I'm like, what? What? So, yeah. So (laughs) let's just do a little bit of a backstory real quick. Um, So they formed in 1975 by a drummer named Sandy West and Joan Jett, who was rhythm guitarist at the time. And uh, they introduced themselves to a well-known producer in Hollywood, California. His name was Kim Fowley. He's He's a character. An entity all Mm -hmm. his own. Um, Mm -hmm. They started a power trio, and then the Runaways began to circulate through party and club scenes, start playing out in Los Angeles, and they added another guitarist, the very well-known Lita Ford. Who's that? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) We actually covered Lita Ford. I'm sure you guys have heard it. On the metal, mm-hmm. metal rock and whiskey show. So we made this kind of a companion piece um, to the metal rock and whiskey episode because we spoke about the Runaways a lot then too. Because of mm-hmm. course that's part of Lita Ford's origins. Right. Um, so uh, they uh, finally were signed to Mercury Records in 1976 and came out with their debut album called The Runaways. And um, they toured the U.S. and played a lot of sold-out shows. Um, They had a huge following on the West Coast. So their second album, Queens of Noise, was released in 1977, and the band began a world tour. Um, They quickly became lumped in with the growing punk rock movement. I don't think, well, I don't think, I know no one knew where to put them. And Mm -hmm. we'll get into that, of course. Um, So they... um, as I said, there were already fixtures um, on the West Coast punk scene. And so when they started to tour and um, went to Europe and England, as you mentioned, Kayla, they formed alliances with a lot of the big, well-known punk bands like the Ramones, the Dead Boys, and um, hung out with the Damn Generation X and the Sex Pistols. Imagine. 
Can't. Can't. No big deal. Dreamless, you know. Small resume. Right? Just, yeah. Yeah, no bigs. No bigs. Yeah. Um, In the summer of 1977, they toured Japan, um, where they played a string of sold-out shows. They were the number four imported music act in Japan at the time. So let me just put this into perspective, okay? So here's who they were right behind. ABBA, KISS, and Led Zeppelin in sales and popularity. So they were in the top five with KISS, ABBA, and Zeppelin. Okay, just think about that. So the reason why I'm kind of drumming this in is because she, Joan Jett and the Runaways were not unknowns. Okay, they were very, very famous. Um, But they were they were unprepared for what they were going to experience when they got to Japan. Um, Joan Jett has said in a lot of interviews that it was like Beatlemania. They Mm -hmm. were almost attacked in the airports. It it was they they just couldn't believe it. Um, So they had their own TV special while they were in Japan. They did numerous television appearances and they released an album called Live in Japan, which went gold. Um, so some terrible things happened as well. Um, they were, um, they received a lot of abuse from other acts that were playing shows with them, all male acts. Um, they weren't taken seriously. They had things thrown at them by these other bands. Um, and I think Joan Jett broke a rib, right? Someone threw a battery or something yeah, at her yep, and she broke yep, a freaking she rib. Broke a rib. Yep. Crazy. They were harassed while they were on stage mm-hmm. by these other bands, by their colleagues. It's crazy. Um, and then um, the uh, there was they were supposed to appear at the 1977 Tokyo Music Festival, and um, Fox uh, said that she was raped um, by Kim Fowley in front of a room full of people. And um, decided to go home because uh, it's obviously a very traumatic experience. Um, so Joan Jett took over base duties at the time, and uh, when they got home, they had to replace Fox with Vicky Blue. Um, and then shortly after, um, Sherry left the band, and um, after there was a big blow up, and that was the fall of 1977. And uh, so Joan Jett had previously shared vocals; now she was lead vocals. And the band released a fourth album called Waitin' for the Night, and they started another world tour with their friends, the Ramones. And then mm-hmm. things just got worse, and the band imploded, and Joan Jett was on her own. So this is a, this is a pretty large resume for such a short period of time. You're talking Absolutely. 75 to 77. Mm-hmm. Like, crazy. Jesus, all of this shit went down. Um did you guys watch any of the documentaries or the movie about the Runaways? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, movies were the Runaways uh, here. Yeah, so I watched the documentary and I watched the the Runaways. So let's first talk about the Runaways Hollywood movie with what the hell is her name? I call her Kristen. Kristen Stewart. That's it, Kristen Stewart. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna say because I remember the trailers for this movie coming out and being intrigued, and then seeing yeah. that she was playing Joan Jett and thought, "There's no way." Yeah, who the She's fuck made that decision? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I mean, but after watching the movie, she, honestly, like her best role, even if she didn't even capture Joan Jett all that well. She didn't, but I get what you're saying totally. I know, but just like, I was like, oh, okay, she's tolerable. She had, like, more than two emotions, so it was okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I I, I totally get what you're saying, but I feel like the movie 
it, it did a lot of skipping and really didn't provide that much detail. It was like, oh, yeah. they had this thing happen. Now she's Joan Jett. Oh, they met this girl in the club. Oh, they're practicing in a trailer. Oh, mm-hmm. they're in Japan. Yes. They're breaking up. This one's working in a bakery. And See, the movie ended. Yeah. I was like, I was waiting. I'm like, but there's That's so cool. much more that happened. <laughs> Why yeah. stop it? It was very, like, artistically done. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. to, like, be more of, like, a like a feeling. Like, you could just feel the things that they were feeling, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I was pissed off that they focused so... Here's the thing that pissed me off about the movie. What now, after... Because the Joan Jett movie just came out recently. Um, watching that and hearing her talk about, you know, God, all we would get asked about in interviews was, you know, do you have sex with each other? Who are you dating? Right. What were you wearing? You know, mm, just, yeah. you know, just bullshit like that. You know, do you have a boyfriend? What the fuck ever? You know, oh, you're a lesbian. And then that's what they focused on in the movie. And that's right. what pissed me yeah. off. It was like, oh, did, you know, did Do- Joan Jett... Um, screw Sherry Curie. I mean, fuck you. Who cares? Everything, everything they were trying to like not be a focus. They wanted to focus so much on their music, and then this movie just focused on like everything else. The relationship between the two girls, and that was it. And it was it did. I didn't do it justice like, at all. I don't give a shit. I want to know mm-hmm. like how Joan Jett became the guitar player that she is because she yeah. fucking shreds, mm-hmm. and she's. I mean, like. <gasps> Just and how they like got through some of the shit. I would, I, I don't know. I think for me, I probably would have given up when not only mm-hmm. are the interviewers all asking me super inappropriate questions, that the, mm-hmm. they would get write ups and reviews in magazines and it te- tore them to pieces. And none yeah. of it was about the actual music. And then to have your fellow colleagues throwing shit at you and harassing you while you're playing your music and just not being appreciated for the musicians you are. I don't know that I would have continued. I mean, that takes some fucking balls right there. A lot of balls. Because who else was doing that? You know, like, well, no one else was there doing this. Like someone else had a standard for, like, hey, like, you can, you're, you should be okay with this. Right. And yeah, and, and their ages too. They were so oh, young. Oh, God. So young. and a half. Very young. I love how it's, 14 and a half. I'm like, yeah. you're still doing half. Yeah. You know you're really, yeah. really young. <laughs> I'm 32 and one quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that to be that young also, yeah. how does that form you as a woman for yeah. to be so first of all, you're ostracized, you're not taken seriously, you're objectified. Yeah. You were pushed into certain things. Um, ah, God, I don't know. I just, oof. I don't know. But she, there she was. It was 1978. She's on her own. Mm-hmm. She, Joan Jett, she doesn't want to give up. She believes that music is her thing. So she was in England trying to get together a solo career. She said that she had more support from friends, colleagues, and, and musicians there. Um, so she recorded three songs with the Sex Pistols, Paul Cook mm-hmm. and Steve Jones. And one of those songs was an early version of the Arrows original song, I Love Rock and Roll. Uh, we'll talk about that later on in a little bit. Um, so that actually, that version, though, appears on a 1993 compilation album called Flashback. Really mm-hmm. interesting. I think you can find it on Spotify. 
Um, I've heard it. Yeah, yeah. I, I found it somewhere. Um, so later that year, she went back to Los, Los Angeles, and um, she had to fulfill an obligation to complete a film for The Runaways that was mm-hmm. supposed to be based on the band's career, titled We're All Crazy Now, C-R-A-Z-E-E. Uh-huh. So Jet met um, songwriter and producer Kenny Laguna, who was hired by Toby Manis to help out with the writing and track on the tracks for the film. They became really good friends and decided to work together. And um, he convinced Joan Jet to move to Long Beach, New York, and because um, that's where Kenny Laguna was based. And um, halfway through this project, they pulled the plug, um, the record company, and uh, Joan Jet was very, very ill. She was rushed to the hospital one night and she had, um, she had a very, very serious heart infection. And Kenny Laguna always says her heart was literally broken because it didn't work out with the runaways. And she felt like she just couldn't keep the momentum going. Um, so, but at that point she was pretty famous and, um, and she was very well known in the music industry. So uh, there, there are parts of the footage that have been used. Um, in, and one of the projects was an underground film called Do Beat EO. It was never commercially released, but you can buy it, but you can't find it for free. I looked. I tried. So, what the fuck is this? Isn't it like, wasn't it like a softcore porn well, or something she, like that? That's what she claims. She's like, she felt like it was some kind of softcore porn movie, okay. but it never, it it, only half of it. I haven't seen it, it, so I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Um, sure, I can just Jenny. see, but yeah, I can, I mean. yeah, right? <laughs> but I can see her, <laughs> I can see her saying that because she was so disinterested in anything that had to do with her sexuality or being a woman. So I can just see her going like, oh, it was a softcore porn movie. You know, I can yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so now Joan Jett and, and Laguna are a team and they entered, um, the Who's a studio where the band, the Who, um, per- recorded many many hits um and uh they they uh recorded a solo album and it was released by areola records in may 17th of 1980 um so this album was rejected by 23 major labels after when they recorded it 23 so Mm. they said you know what fuck it we're gonna put it out ourselves and they created a new label called Blackheart Records. And um, it, they started it with Kenny Laguna's daughter's college savings. <laughs> he, mm-hmm. he, I think she was a couple years old, and they had a couple grand saved. And Kenny Laguna says, we couldn't think of anything else to do but print up the records ourselves. And they did. And they sold That's them incredible. out of the back of Kenny Laguna's Cadillac. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's incredible. And went to, do. Yeah, they went to record stores themselves and said, here's this record. Do you want to buy them? I got them in the trunk of my car. Boom, boom, boom. Um, <laughs> but it turns out Kenny Laguna couldn't keep up demand for the album. That's how well it was doing. So an old friend of his who had founded a label called Casablanca Records, Neil Bo- Bogart, he made a joint venture with them. And mm. so Joan was signed to this new label, Boardwalk Records, and they released the Joan Jett album as Bad Reputation. Unfortunately, there was a lot of shit going on with that because poor Joan can't catch a break. The um, yeah. printing press was selling records out the back door. Apparently, they were, I mean, they would get to places and 
they knew more records were being sold than they were being paid for because of the popularity and the radio play it was getting. Um, so uh, they they decided to go. They were like, no, we're going back to Blackheart Records. And um, Laguna said, you know, we really, she said, I want a band. I don't want to just have session artists and, like, guys that tour with me. I want an actual band. And she's always mm -hmm. been like that. She wanted to be a collaborator and be part of a team. And so he said, all right, I'm going to find, we're going to put out some ads. I'm going to help you pick people. And um, Laguna, in his own words, he said, I told Joni to forget the band and support herself on the advance money. There was enough for her, but not for a band. And she said, I have to have a band. Mm -hmm. And he said, I believe to this day that it was the Blackhearts, that concept that made Joan Jett. Mm -hmm. She was right. Her instinct, her instincts were always right, I think. So throughout yeah. 1980 and 81, she was touring almost nonstop. And then um, in the spring of 81... There was a concert at the Palladium in New York City, and it was a turning point in her career. It's been described by a lot of music journalists that were interviewed as a career-defining performance by Joan Jett. Um, it helps to not only solidify a very strong New York following for Joan and the Jett and the Blackhearts, but it also helped to launch um, a new recording contract. So um, that's when they went on to record I Love Rock and Roll. That new that album, and uh, the first single, of course, we know was "I Love Rock and Roll." Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for seven weeks in a row. It's Billboard's number 56 song of all time, mm -hmm. and has also been inducted into the uh, Grammy Hall of Fame in 2016. And she has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And um, I thought, I watched her acceptance speech, and I will admit I my eyes welled up with some weird water all of a sudden. What's that? Because no. <laughs> she started to cry, and I was like, oh, shit, you can't start crying. You're, you're <laughs> fucking Joan Jett. Um, yeah, you can cry. <laughs> so I'm summing up a very long career, of course. Yes. How but, can you, right? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, and, and we, we face this on Metal Rock and Whiskey often, too. But um, the, the things that stood out to me were so, so much was, oh, the music is great, but I don't understand you. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't understand why it's all girls don't play rock and roll. Who wants to hear all girls playing rock and roll? Oh, who wants to hear a, a chick? They would say, lose the guitar. She needs to lose Ugh. the guitar and soften up her look. Was a lot of, so I guess there was several, once she became famous, several right. record deals. They would get down the path. Okay, great. We want to do this. We agree. You know, we agree on the money. We agree on the distribution and everything. And then the marketing would come. And, and they didn't even want money. Yeah, they just wanted a, they, a record deal. Exactly, but it would mm -hmm. always come down to she should lose the guitar. Right, she should get there. Should make okay. Well, then let's have a male front person, and she can be the backup singer with the guitar. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it's like, what? How the fuck do you hear that over and yeah. over and over mm -hmm. and still push forward? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm tenacious, but that's tenacity that even mm -hmm. I can't come to grips with. I'm, I was so, I had no idea because by the time I heard "I Love Rock and Roll," it was well, I guess it it would have been yeah, when 1981. I guess it would have been 80. Yeah, it was still heavily on the jukebox. I remember, I have a vivid memory of 
This is going to sound terrible. Um, I used, my dad, well, back in the day it was different. I, when I would go visit my dad, cause my parents were divorced. He was a guy who had his local bar and he had his favorite bar seat. And every, when he walked in, everybody knew him and you know, whatever that he just, he lived in bars basically. He was like Norm at, on Cheers. A little less, uh, was a little <laughs> less of a nice establishment. Uh, but sure, sure, we'll go with that. We'll right, go with that. Go. Um, so when I would go visit him, uh, he would take me with him to the bars. And it's now that would be what the fuck. But then it was, it was a thing. Sometimes there were other kids there, you know, dads who had no idea what the hell to do with their kids you know, weekend kids or I can see Matt doing that. Totally. Sidebar. (laughs) So I will play by the jukebox. Well, you would, well, that's (laughs) what you would get. You would get a stack of quarters to go play the pinball machines and the jukebox. And then later arcade games. And then later I was like, Oh, we can go to the bar. I don't give a fuck. We can be at the bar for 20 fucking hours. Just keep giving me quarters for the arcade. I'm all good. (laughs) And so I entertain. Yeah, exactly. So I remember, um, how the jukeboxes used to be is the hits would go, you knew they were hits. And I don't remember if it was colors around, like a color bar around the little paper thing. And I think it was, I think it was red. And then they would be at the top. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look it up. A couple rows usually, like a couple rows. Yeah. At the and top, you knew I those think. were like new and, and the big hits or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so one of them was, I love rock and roll. And I was, you know, I'm like, what, 10 years old. And I'm like, well, I love rock and roll (laughs) too. So I was like, I'm going to, and then I saw it said Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. And I was like, it's a girl. And I was like, oh yeah. Cause my mom had raised me on folk. It it was mostly folk chicks, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We lit, she listened to Zeppelin. She loved Zeppelin, but for women, it was all like Joni Mitchell, you know, and all that shit. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I remember playing it and I was like, what? Oh my God. And I was fucking hooked. And I Mm -hmm. was a crazy Joan Jett fan ever since. Um, but had no idea until recently. And I guess it's like, stupid me from just assuming I did it didn't occur to me how difficult of a time it was to be a woman in rock. so when I love rock and roll came out and the, the fact checkers of our interwebs can correct me but um came out around 1981 mm-hmm. and that was about the same time that MTV came around so MTV was like, okay, we're going to play like two female records every so-and-so time every day, maybe. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But then they went ahead and I Love Rock and Roll came out and they were playing it like 17, 18 times a day. Yeah. So that is badass. And I love, um, I was watching um, uh, Bad Reputation. Mm-hmm. And I may have came in my pants a little bit when they started showing uh, Kathleen Hanna and Bikini Kill yes. when they were like their worlds intertwined. I'm like, oh my God, they know each other. <laughs> I think <laughs> she was, was on. Was incredible. I love that. I think she was on the Blackheart label. Yeah. I think that's the connection, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty she, sure. She, she produced a song for, for Bikini Kill. Yeah, yes. But I also think, mm-hmm. I think they were on the Blackheart's label, if I'm, yeah. I, I, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um, Fact checkers, let yes. us know. Well, and it's funny because she tells a story too about when she heard Crimson and Clover on the radio. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah. I also was like, I mean, that song is one of the sexiest fucking songs mm-hmm. ever, mm-hmm. first of all. I mean, the way she does the, uh, you know, oh my God. Very throaty. Oh, yeah. 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 And the video, with the way it would focus mm-hmm. on her mouth. And I just mm-hmm. remember being like, I got tingles in places I shouldn't have tingles in. <laughs> and then... The same, like it stood out to me that she, she yeah. said, and I don't hardly know her. That stuck, that stuck out, and I knew mm-hmm. what she was talking about, and I don't know, I I don't know why I I knew it. It didn't bother me. I just was like, oh, she she likes a girl, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I don't know. I was fine, you know, in my mm-hmm. young little brain. Um, but I remember that definitely stood out that she was saying her. That that yeah. stuck with me, but oh, that song was one of the sexiest songs ever. It's like you know how you always do. If I were a stripper, this is what I would play. And in mm. your head, it's like <laughs> this beautiful showgirl Moulin Rouge situation, not some like yeah. dump hole grossness and near the airport. <laughs> I always it's said, not always it's not always pour some sugar on me, people. Okay, but <laughs> calm down. <laughs> or um, what was her stupid faces movie about being a stripper? Um, fucking what's her head? Demi Moore. Remember? Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, what the hell? Anyway, her her scenes were ridiculous, too. Like, that is not what it looks like in strip clubs. But anyway, <laughs> Crimson and Clover would always be, her version was like, oh, yeah, that would be one of my songs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to backtrack a little bit, um, Sailor, when you're talking about the um, talk about the timeline and when they were in Japan and how they were so huge in Japan. And one of the... I think important things that should be noted and Joan Jett says too, is that um, she couldn't believe all of the, the positive feedback they were getting when they were in Japan. Like you said, like Beatles mania, but for girls. Mm-hmm. And when she, you know, thought back on it, it was because of the way women were treated yes. in Japan during yes. that time. And here's um, the runaways song singing about, you know, sex and, and owning themselves and just being like badasses. So I think that really resonated um, with 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 Japan and Japanese women, and then maybe that's why they they got such a response that they did. Absolutely, I mean, yeah, and and they said that it was droves of girls coming out mm-hmm. as fans, yeah. you know. And of course, that was fucking unheard of, you know. But also, mm-hmm. weirdly, like even though they're such a repressed society. They've always been, I mean, look at their culture, look at their art culture. I mean, their mm-hmm. their art and fashion, it's fucking nuts. I mean, yeah. it's the most ballsy shit ever. And I think that's that's obviously their outlets for their yeah. repression. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and so I think that that was certainly one of, one of the reasons for sure. But, you know, the Europeans and, and Asian countries have always been ahead of us in, oh, we, you know, every time I do a timeline, not every time, but often when I do a timeline <clears throat> for Metal Rock and Whiskey, it's like, well, they were bigger in Europe for a while, and then the fucking stupid Americans <laughs> mm-hmm. caught on. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. first they hated, and, you know, like. We don't like change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was um, Twisted Sister. Like Twisted Sister, mm-hmm. they couldn't get, they could not get a label to touch them, and then they go to England, and it's like, fuck yeah, Twisted Sister, and they're like selling out mm-hmm. places. They get a record deal. Like, what the fuck was wrong with us? Blondie yeah. too. Oh yeah, so, yeah. I mean, they what, what are mm-hmm. we missing well, right now? Everything too is like we we have a, like a different, like what you said about uh, 
like that kind of repression. Um, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me that I thought was really interesting is this idea of like objectification, right? Yeah. Like, yes, it is us portraying like what we want sexually, how we want to be like that. We are still driven. We still have that kind of sex drive, but at the same time, there's still so much objectification happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so like, I have to think of like the little steps it takes to get to a place where it's like, is this my voice? Is this what I want? You know, like, is this something that like the music is portraying uh, genuinely that, you know, this isn't what I'm being told is wanted of me, but however that like, it, rather this is coming from within. So it's like a really weird contradiction. And I think, um, you know, in American society, it's uh, pretty normal to kind of just like blow right by what we're actually thinking and just like, let it just be kind of like a undercurrent of our culture the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then with other cultures, it's like, they're, they're so far repressed. They have a, a few hundred thousand years on us too, as a yeah. culture. Sure. So they've been dealing with, uh, you know, oppression in different ways. Um, and I think that, you know, they just had, you get sick of it. You get, you get to a point where it's like, okay, this looks good. This looks like what I want now. Um, and I don't know how much like that's fair to the girls, these 14 year old, 15 year old girls. Um, but they embodied this, this aspect of, of women's, like, I remember a quote he said in the movie, it says something about, it's not women's liberation, it's women's libido. Um, mm, yeah. And that was like, that's a weird thing. Cause it's like, okay, well you're using women's libido for your own ends, you know, like you're not really, it's not really fair for these young women who, yeah, they, they did represent libera- liberation, but it's like these young women who don't really have, like they're figuring it out for themselves mm-hmm. and they did an okay job of that in the movie, but it was pretty, uh, like, I don't think like, I, I don't know. I feel like it was pretty aggressive. It wasn't totally fair for these like 14 year old, 15 year old girls right. to be like forced into that arena. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, what was interesting? I, I read a quote on the metal rock and whiskey show that Lita Ford talking about feminism. And I, I, I mean, I, I come across this often and it came up when I interviewed itchy kitty here in the local band in Spokane, you know, Lita Ford made a comment like, Oh, I'm not a feminist. And then every single thing she said after that was of <laughs> course proving that she was a feminist. And so I felt it necessary to read the dictionary definition of feminism, which just means equality. That's all Mm -hmm. it means. It means fucking equality. It does not mean man-hater. It does not mean women above men, men below. It doesn't mean any of that. It's literally just equality. And they both approached it in very, very different ways. So you had Joan Jett and Lita Ford went off and had solo careers. Very, Mm -hmm. they're very famous. And they approached it in very different ways. Lita Ford went along with what the record execs said. They all said, you got to sell it with sex, honey. Sell it with sex. They didn't say, hey, your talent is good enough. And by the way, Lita Ford is also a phenomenal fucking musician. Absolutely. She really is. And a fucking great songwriter. Um, She succumbed to the pressure. And everything, if you look at her, look at her videos, our album artworks, all of that from the 80s. And it's just so over sexualized oh my god like to the nth degree and then you have Joan Jett who was like no fuck that I'm not I'm not a sex like don't look at me for sex 
I'm mm-hmm. just a fucking guitar player. I'm a fucking singer. I'm a fucking rocker. That's right. it. And almost, tr- I think she went in the other direction, like almost being a non-sexual looking person, a non-gendered looking person in a way. Asexual, you know, like completely androgynous, asexual. As androgynous as she possibly mm-hmm. could to kind of get away from what she experienced with the runaways and what she saw a lot of of her female colleagues doing at the time, mm-hmm. which it was very, I'm, I'm hypersexualized because th- that's how people felt. Oh, well, no one else is no one Men aren't going to pick up these records. If it's just some chick playing a guitar. Oh, sure. Let's dumb men down. Cause they're all fucking idiots. Uh, no, you know, but that's it. I found that interesting how they, it's, Polar opposites, how yeah. they went off, because Lita Ford was not sex- over sexualizing herself in the Runaways either, you know, any more than than the rest of them were. So, um, yeah, just uh, it's yeah. Again, at fucking fifteen, sixteen years old, how do you even begin to identify with mm-hmm. any of that? And do you have to do it? You have to do it in front of the world. Like, mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me of Britney Spears. For sure. Hang with me here for a minute. I know this is going to mm-hmm. seem like a... I'm following. Just, just hang with me here That's for a minute. Life. So, she's a young girl who becomes a pop star, and a, a star, and um, she goes through a breakup and and in front of the whole fucking world, you know, can you imagine? Do you remember how traumatic your breakups were when you were young? Like how mm-hmm. devastating, how horrible it was when the girls at school ganged up against you or you found out that somebody wrote some crap about you or some shithead guy at school said you gave him a blowjob or went all the way or whatever shit and how humiliating that was and you just wanted mm-hmm. to fucking die. Now imagine doing that in front of the whole fucking world. The whole world. Yeah. And she it's changed. still got to be painful because now he's gorgeous, has an awesome career, gorgeous that's, wife, gorgeous that's children. You. That's true. <laughs> it yeah. can't have gotten any easier yeah. for yeah. her. No, no. Yeah. yeah. And then the next douchebag she gets together with fucks her over, and she's left as a single mother, and and she shaves her fucking head, and everybody. And I just remember I was never interested in her, could have cared less, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I remember just going. I immediately felt like I had to stand up for her. Going, whoa. Fuck mm-hmm. you. She's basically a fucking teenager that just went through horrible shit. I'd like to see you get divorced. Your husband's fucking cheating on you, leaves you with two small children, and, and yeah. everybody fucking knows, and everybody's yeah. talking about it, and you don't have a private moment to try and process this, and you don't think right. you're going to freak out? Oh, fuck yeah. you. Well, and she was defined by sex at at the same age. Yes, exactly. She was so young and getting the same, you are defined by this. You are defined by how you look. Yep. Like, I mean, like, that's that's what I loved about Bad Reputation, the song, is because she's, I don't give a damn about my reputation. I don't care. Like, that you have to at some point Mm -hmm. disconnect as a female to, and as a human being, stop caring about what people think or say. And I'm sure it's like a whole other level when you have like when you have a million people saying it versus, you know, the 10 people who care about me. (laughs) So also when your livelihood depends on it, you're exactly right to bring up um, pop stars in general 
especially with that connection early on that like the, I don't know if you guys, if you remember from the documentary when they were talking about candy pop, Mm -hmm. like the music itself and the whole time that all the music is meant to sound like they're talking about food. Um, like yummy, yummy, like all of yeah, those songs. But it's all sexual. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Yeah. I got love in my tongue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's meant to be like this candy light at like silly music, mm-hmm. and yet they're t- dealing with big, very adult ideas, yeah. and and then it moves into the whole thing with with their music, with punk and with rock, and they're still expressing like these little nuggets these little like good hooks Mm -hmm. and then going from there and all of your identity is tied up into these little like little snippets that people can see and define you and peg you and like oh yeah you are a sex object right right you're totally right to bring up like britney spears and any pop star who has had to start off super young well and miley cyrus is in the the joan jett documentary and i found that very interesting because that so again just like Lita Ford and Joan Jett they went off as polar opposites on how they dealt with their careers Mm -hmm. and they were both fighting the same fucking battle at the same time so Mm -hmm. it was a very parallel situation that happened so you have Miley Cyrus who comes out in the opposite way she's the goody goody girl she's the down home nice country girl she's not supposed to be sexualized because she's fucking Hannah Montana. She's, okay. she's always supposed to stay a little girl. She's supposed to literally fucking be Hannah Montana. And the poor girl is like, goes through puberty and starts trying to have her own identity. and is In front sexual, of the world. And, right. Is the a, world. And is a sexual being and she's figuring mm-hmm. out her own sexuality. She's figuring out her own, the, the way you live in your own gender. And I don't know if, I don't know if most men understand that that is something we have to work through. You know, I think often men, you know, they, they are, Oh, I'm a, I'm a guy and this is what I, I'm just a guy. Well, women, we have to decide in a way, well, what kind of girl am I, you know, am Mm -hmm. I, you know, do I have to be a tomboy for this reason? Do I have to hide my sexuality for that reason? Do I have to use my sexuality for this reason? Am I a brainy girl? You know, we have to kind of figure all of that out stupidly. Instead of just being ourselves. And so here, Hannah Montana, I'm going to call her that until we get to the point where she's (laughs) Miley, you know, is figuring all of this out in front of the fucking world again, you know, at a very young age. And then the minute she starts coming into her own, her own style of femininity, slut, whore, she's a drug addict, you know, like, and I just thought to myself, I hope this girl survives this. You know, and that was my fear with Britney Spears. I hope this girl survives this. That's what I just kept Mm -hmm. saying. This is so sad. I don't, I would get mad at people for reading the magazines. I'm like, you're. Leave Britney alone. Just somebody, (laughs) it's a little girl, you know, and I'm so much older than her that I felt like, God, you guys don't, don't let's, it's, it's someone's little girl. I don't think you would, you would have the same feeling about this. If it was your niece or something, like, don't forget she's a little girl. She's not a mm-hmm. fake fucking person. She's and a so, human. Absolutely. Also with Miley Cyrus, you know, um, I, I thought it was interesting that they chose her to be in the movie. And she also was one of the people she introduced Joan Jett at yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony. For the, the Hall of Fame, yeah. yeah. Did you guys watch her, Joan Jett's performance doing a... Smells like Teen Spirit, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Chills. 
my husband and I are watching it on YouTube. We're like, all right, all right, let's watch. I'll bite. I, I love Joan Jett all the way. I'm like, let, let's see. Because how, how old was she when she got inducted? Was she in her 50s? Just recently. It was recently. Yeah. So she's in her 60s? Yeah, I, I was going to say 60s. Hot damn people. If you haven't seen it, Google it. Except for so like, okay. Okay, this is good. This is good. And then she just like does her like throaty her mm-hmm. her like. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's fucking awesome, and it, it gave me chills. I loved it. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend Google that shit now because it's yeah. so good. It's I was amazing. so impressed. Yeah, Love she's her. as punk as ever. Like that Absolutely. is so real. She didn't skip a beat. She's mm-hmm. sixty, and I believe that she got into the raw. It was very. It was recently. Um, 2015. Okay, so yeah, so she was, you know, late 50s. Yeah, yeah. When she, when yeah, still kicking I, ass. I thought it was interesting when Miley introduced her. The very like the way that she introduced her was in reference to us to her being sexy. Mm-hmm. She was like, "Let me tell you about the first time that I wanted to have sex with Joan Jett." That was how she introduced her. And I think it's so interesting because Joan Jett did want to separate herself so much from that. But that's something that's, you know, true to the nature of, of, you know, being sexy in general, that it has nothing to do with how much clothes you're wearing. It's not about, you know, you know, burying your skin or being some like eye candy for, for somebody, but really just about what you just exude from who you are because she's just she is she's a badass yeah to me she exudes sex but to me it comes from her being a powerhouse it comes from her talent as a musician it comes from her being strong it's her strength and and she could be she could be ugly as fuck and I think I'd still feel this I know I would still feel the same way about her yeah because it's it's her it's her power, it's her strength, and it's her talent that I think makes her sexy. And, I, and to me, it's her, I don't give a damn. You know, like mm-hmm. that, you know, that to me is, because I, I still strive for that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it came up recently, my boyfriend and I were watching <laughs> Grace and Frankie. I don't know if you guys watch that show on it's, Netflix. It's funny. Is that like the it. best? So... They're women in their 80s, but they're, the whole theme of this past season was fuck it. Like, they're learning finally at 80 years old to say fuck it, you know? Oh, my gosh. So they don't necessarily have to conform and all of these things. And I remember looking over and going, I can't wait till I'm that age where I can just say fuck it. And he looks at me and he's like, you don't already? And I'm like, <laughs> you know? I may appear like I do. I think I've done very well at pretending like I'm a person that's like, I don't give a, I don't give a goddamn what you say. Fuck it. (laughs) But not really. (laughs) That's a, I think that's an evolution that we all are. I'm still evolving into actually Mm. saying, I don't give a damn. Actually saying, fuck you and your opinion. Fuck your opinion. You know, Mm. I'm not quite there yet. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that's very appealing about people like Joan Jett and other other people that are like that, that just, you know, they really actually don't give a shit what anybody thinks. And that's got to yeah. be so fucking liberating. And to be successful. Uh, like, I think it comes it. from a place of, of caring so much, too. Like, it doesn't, you, it's an effort 
that they're making to not care about other mm-hmm. people's opinion. And it's not because they don't care about other people or other people's opinion in general. It's because they don't care about um, the weight of judgment from people who don't know them. That I think is like a huge distinguishing factor. Like people who don't know me don't get to speak into my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that makes a big difference. Like they would care if like, if they're someone who knew, if someone knew who knew her, it's not like she's blowing off everyone's opinion. If she's blowing off opinions that you just don't matter. Like no one, no one, it just doesn't matter. I don't have to care about your opinion. If you don't know me, you don't mm-hmm. get to have an opinion. <laughs> but imagine that being millions of people that don't know you <laughs> and you yeah. know, like, and your livelihood is based is kind of based on if they care, you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's got to be a really difficult. I mean, I know sometimes I, I I scan through my Instagram and I go through waves where it's like, you know, this is I need to keep up with this because it's really important for my career and because my I'm in public in my career and you know, and I look at what some of my peers are doing. And I don't necessarily know all these people. And I think, oh, you know, maybe I should also, you know, make sure that I look sexy with all of my bottles and all that shit. And it, like, still goes through my head for a second. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. I don't give two fucks. You know? Exactly. I don't. But I can't tell you how many times I've spent, like, half an hour, you know, setting up a bottle and this great, and, you know, getting really good content. And I'm like, oh, I'm so proud of this post. Like this post took me forever and it's a really nice picture (laughs) and I'm excited about the bottle and you know, you get like 40 likes, but then one day when I'm just, I haven't brushed my teeth and I'm looking like shit and I'm just like, I'm just going to take a picture of me in this bottle and not show my face because I look like garbage Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, 250 likes because my body is in it. I'm like, come on, really? Yeah. Yeah. Sex will always sell. Always. Always. Well, and like to that point too, um, going back to something you were saying earlier about how, uh, guys don't really go through that same process. Now, I don't think that that's fair. I think that, I mean, I think they do go through a different process. I think that our culture, you know, doesn't really let guys feel the same things. Like, so you, they kind of have to bury who they are. And like, I think guys, you know, especially with like you know, the, femininity of a lot of the guys in the punk scene that she was in. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. She talked a little bit about like, uh, I can't remember who it was. She had a belt that had like, that she got from like Sex some shop. Oscar place. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, she yeah. like gave it to, to who, do you guys remember who it was? Someone from the sex. Pistols, it was maybe? someone from the yeah, sex. I think pistols, so. I think. Yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And he like, it shows, so it was like, it's, it's interesting to see like it, guys can be dynamic guys do have so many different feelings and thoughts and yet frequently we there our culture traps them to like you're only allowed to be this you can only show this much emotion and uh, I think that's not I mean that's not healthy for them that's not and it all looks back at these roles that we're all told we have to play and how Joan Jett just did not play those games she didn't play those roles no you're absolutely right and I didn't mean to say that men don't have to conform to gender roles and don't struggle with that because certainly that's the case I think what I mean to say is that you know we are forced there's more it's uh it's a little bit more challenging you know as we still are are you know there's still a lot of growth we made in equality between the sexes Mm -hmm. 
in this country um, that it's still a lot of figuring out that you have to do. I think men have a little bit more, you know, they were able a little bit more to kind of, I think, figure, kind of come into their own type of masculinity or their own type of, of gender related self in certain ways that of course conform more to society. But even if a woman is going to fall into this gender style that conforms with society, it's still a struggle, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, like if you're a guy that's like a young teenager growing up, I'm into the lumberjack look, like that's pretty much going to be acceptable, you know, and you're really not going to have to, to fight to be heard at a meeting because you look, you kind of have the lumberjack look, you know, even if I'm going to still look like what the gender norm is supposed to be for a woman today, I'm still going to have to fight a little bit harder to be heard in a meeting. I mean, it's, it just is what it is, you know? Mm. Um, but I think that, um, I I would like to see, I'm so glad this move Joan Jett movie came out when it did. I think it's the right, I think it's the perfect timing for it. I think it's 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 a it's really great that we're looking back and paying attention to artists that founded um, certain styles of music that that were founders of important moments in our music history and are really getting um, appreciated for it because I think a lot of people think of Joan Jett as the I love rock and roll girl and mm-hmm. oh she's just a pop star you know like a pop rock star and don't really understand that she's a true fucking punk rocker. I mean, mm-hmm. if there the queen. is, absolutely, if there is, you know, a, this is a true punk rock chick, it was this fucking lady who was literally, like, dying in a hospital bed and still, like, oh, let's, I, I gotta play fucking music. I gotta play music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, fuck everybody and everything. Yeah. And the one thing that we didn't address either that I went back and forth on whether I wanted to address it or not, but, I think it's important too, is that Joan Jett is not straight. Joan Jett is a lesbian mm-hmm. and she's been an out lesbian, um, for, for since day one. And that made it even more challenging for her. It made it even more difficult for her. Right. And she was asked to use certain pronouns in her songs and she refused to, like we talked about in Crimson and Clover. And that was a ballsy thing to do at the time. Very, mm-hmm. very ballsy. Um, I'm I'm very surprised, to be completely honest with you, that it was okay enough to get radio play and be released and yeah. all of that. Uh, had it have been a man, not so much. Um, you know, I think, st- especially that, well, lesbianism is okay because it's girl-on-girl action. It's hot. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So, um, but that's coming back to like the objectification. Like it's only okay because they get something out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, add another, add insult to injury and put challenge on top of challenge. Try being a leader in a bur- you know, in a new genre of music that isn't exactly mainstream and no one understands you. And by the way, you're also gay. Oh, okay, yes. cool. You're a lesbian. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Anything else you want to throw at this lady? Anything yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but talk about resilience. Like, Fuck did yeah, she man. not bounce back? She never gave up. There was photos of her 
in the hospital bed after she had her her heart issues, and she has a fucking guitar in her in her hand, and yeah. she's yeah. rocking out. Yep. It's like I almost died, but I'm gonna keep playing yep. rock and roll here. Yep. So bye. She just, like that's, damn. That's what I meant, and that's what I meant by the tenacity was just on mm-hmm. is so. I admire that so fucking much. And I'm so thankful to her, you know, that that she stuck with the runaways as long as she did. And I'm thankful yeah. to her that she, in her solo career, did not give anything up, said, no, I'm doing it my way. I'm doing it my way. I'm fucking doing it my way. Because she paved the way for mm-hmm. a lot of artists after her. And mm-hmm. that brings us to the Riot Girl movement. She is one of the original Riot Girls that said, fuck your gender norms, fuck all of that shit. I'm a fucking, I'm going to do what I fucking want to do. And I do it well, and I'm going to be heard for it. And I'm just going to keep kicking down the fucking doors until I get there. And yep. she did. She did. She absolutely did. And she's still rocking out to this day. So go Joan. I saw her. Go Joni. I saw her. I think in two. It was two thousand and four. Wait, what is this? Two thousand nineteen. I can't even keep track of the years. Anymore. Is it? Oh, I think it was two thousand fifteen. I saw her. It must be sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Oh, fifteen or sixteen. Um, at I up. I go home every summer to upstate New York, where my dad's side of the family's from, <laughs> and they have this festival every year. And it's based around a certain food item that's very popular. And nobody would know what the fuck it was unless you're from this area. Um, And it's a hot air balloon festival as well. And it may sound really silly, but it gets, I mean, thousands and tens of thousands of people. And they book giant acts. I've seen Cheap Trick there. I've seen, I mean, Mm -hmm. I have seen some major, major acts like Fog Hat and not even when they were washed up. Like, they've always... I've been going on this thing my whole fucking life. Um, and so, I, it was, I think it was 2015 or 16, and I, my friend who still lives there sent me a message. She's like, Joan fucking Jet is playing the Speedy Fest. And I was wow. like, shut the fuck up. Because it's free. It's fucking <laughs> mm-hmm. free. Wow. So, oh I'm like, oh my God. And I said to my ex, we're going... We're going, we're going. So I told my family, okay, I'm coming up for this time, and we're going to the damn Speedy Fest because I have to see Joan Jett. And we waited in line so that we could get as close as we could get because it's just outdoors, you know, on a field, in a, like, fenced area, on a feet in a park. And so I got pretty close, and I'm like, oh, damn, she looks really good still. And then at first, I will admit to you, I was a little bummed out. She's like, you know, I wrote this song about my mother dying, and it, I was like, oh, that's a fucking bummer. That's a downer. Yeah, and I was like, uh, and then she did another song, and I was just like, meh, and I felt like she was boning it in. And then she did I Love Rock and Roll. And it, I could, now, I don't know shit from shit. I could be totally wrong. My experience, my impression when I watched her do it is that she was just like, <sighs> you know, this song again. <laughs> Mm-hmm, Which of yeah. course, of course, you know, but mm-hmm. you have to play it. She right. played that song, and the crowd lost their fucking minds. Of course, everybody oh my God. lost Kidding? their minds. And oh I, man, I'm so jealous you saw it, you it bitch. Was, it was so. Well, I've seen her several times, but it was so. Man. So I got really psyched, and at the end of it, it was like just the last few seconds. She just clicked to that energy that we were giving out because she played mm-hmm. that song. 
and and bam, she goes right into bad reputation, and everybody's losing their fucking mind. And so she nice. got because at first I was just like, oh, she's sucking. This is boring. She's phoning it in. I don't know if it's her age. I don't know if it's because it's this fucking chicken festival. Like, I don't know, you know? Like a million things could have been. Yeah, I don't know. What is this festival? <laughs> it's, a, it's like what a, is it? it's a kebab festival. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christmas. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> and so after that, I think really we needed to give it to her, and that's fair, you know. And um, after that, she was just kicking fucking, and I couldn't believe at her age, like, she was fucking murdering it. So I tell you what, the Rolling Stones got nothing on this bitch. Yeah. mm I think, too, uh, she has, like, even in the documentary, she looks amazing. She does like look amazing. I, she's gone through so much. Yeah, and I mean, she's she had just some work is done. like she's had she's had some fair. Oh, bit of work you, done. you can. I mean, yes, <laughs> but like she still looks amazing. Yeah. Like it's not one of those things. Like you're like, ah, uh, yeah. Like, yeah, like it's it's just yeah. well, that was a hard life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you hear? What you, I, yeah. I mean, exactly. I know you should saying. look. So yeah. much further. She should look like a raisin that's stretched well over Skeletor. Is what she should look yeah. Like. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even talk about because she lost her friend, that musician, uh, Mia Zabata. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and like that, that too, I think, like you just go through one thing after another. Yeah. And to still be like having joy and getting energy and. Uh, you know, responding like that to a crowd. I'm glad you saw her again. And like, I, I love that idea that she fed off the crowd. Cause that's yeah. exactly what it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the expectation, I think when you're younger, you can just go out on stage and be like, Fuck yeah! you know, and just bring it. <laughs> but I get that, you know, after a while it's like, all right, guys, you got to help me out here. You know, let's, let's, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm playing the song for the millionth time in my career. Yeah, it, yes. Yeah. And oh. fair enough. You know, of course I want her to look as excited as I am to hear the song when she plays the song, right. but I get it. You know, I, I get it. Um, but I love that it was like right at the end where she's just like, okay, 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 you guys. I'm into I'll it. Bite. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Throw a dog a bone. Yep. Well, it's like the power of her own music, though. Like, that's the, she, Pretty like, you cool. put the vibration out there on your instrument and everybody's feeling it in the crowd. Whether she wants to get into it or not, it's going to get you into it. Yes. It's one of those songs that just transcends time. Like, no matter what, it doesn't feel dated when you hear it. You're not like, oh, yeah. fuck this song. It's just like, oh, I fucking love this yeah. jam. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. It's so that and Bad Reputation were two of my favorite songs growing up. And I remember, like, one of the first times when I was really young, when I was a lot younger, um, when my mom was, like, letting me have more input in how I – represented myself when I would go out. Um, and we were, we went to church. We would go to church every Sunday. And I remember like one day I got really upset. I was just like, I don't want to wear anything that you have for me. I don't want to wear anything in front of, like, I want to come up with something. Like I want, I want to feel like I represent myself when I walk out of here. And she finally like, let me, she let me like wear whatever I wanted that day to church. And I wore, I wore, you know, pantyhose with rips in it. I put a safety pin in my ear. Um, like I had a different earring in the other ear. I had like a ripped black shirt, I think. And like, I don't remember if I had like what kind of like if I had a skirt or if I like wore pants over the or like shorts over the top of the pantyhose. But my mom just looked at me like I was insane. Like <laughs> she, she was like, oh, you're just going to try to go all out. You're going to be a rebel. And I didn't 
in my mind, I didn't feel like I was, I really just, I was like, this looks cool. Like this. And to see her wear like the safety pins on her clothes and to rip her clothes, it wasn't like she was doing it for, I mean, yeah, she was being a rebel, but it really was just her speaking and showing herself. It wasn't like putting on a show for somebody. Right. And that's how it felt. It felt like I was getting looked at, like I was putting on a show, but I didn't do it for you. You Mm -hmm. know, I don't think she was doing, she wasn't doing it for anybody. She was just portraying herself. Yes, exactly. Yes. All right, friends, we're going to play some music for your listening pleasure while we take a break. So Sailor doesn't, as usual, pee her pants. (laughs) Oh, Sailor. awesome you guys i love talking about joan jet and i'm super excited to continue talking about the riot girls yes uh hell yeah uh but i think i've had enough to drink and i may or may not have already fallen out of my chair so <laughs> let's like husband like wife i'll say <laughs> Damn it, it's true. Uh, Let's shut this shit down, ladies. Um, So where can stalkers and creepers find you and may or may not send you their dick pics? No, please don't. Only dickle dickle pics. Dickle, excuse me. I said dickle pics. You can send me dickle pics all day. (laughs) Uh, Carolyn, let's, uh, let's start with you, my love. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Salkaholic. Kayla, how about you? You can find me also on Instagram at Cadellis, K-A-D-E-L-L-I-S. Or Kayla What about Kaka. you, Miss Taylor? Cadellis. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on the web stuffs as Sailor Retro. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor might be out of her chair now. (laughs) Close her legs. But at least I didn't pee my pants. Hi. (laughs) Um, Okay. And you can find me at Rumderwoman247. And you can follow this podcast on all of the usual podcast platforms under Metal Rock and Whiskey. And find us on Instagram at Pretty Good for a Girl. And please hit the subscribe button. It would mean so very much to us. Okay, ladies. I don't give a goddamn about my bad reputation. I know you don't either. So let's get our air guitars ready, because it's time to rip the fuck out of here. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 